0: We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance, and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Move the Guesswork podcast. I'm Leanne Spencer, and my guest this week is Lucy Barkus. Lucy works with global corporations, fast-growing startups and charities, pretty much any organization that believes that people are their greatest asset. Lucy is a leadership and a team consultant who works with leaders to embed a culture of people-centricity, team relationships, and high performance. And she's been a peer, or regular appears, on BBC Radio as an expert on workplace issues and leadership. And a forthcoming book, which we've just been talking about off-air, actually, and we will touch on in this recording, is called Leader X, and is basically written to help Gen X leaders step up, take control, and lead with purpose. So Lucy, it's gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank
1: you. Delighted to be here.
0: Yeah. So let's get stuck in. So I think we've got some really good topics to talk about. And I explained to you before we went on air as well that our audience is going kind to of busy professionals. Some are business owners, but many of them are not. And um, I think there's two different challenges right there really. But I think what probably encapsulates both of those types of people you know the employer and the employees is the major challenge around well-being which is how we're still largely measured or measuring on hours work is very much about location we're not being measured on output but it's about the number of hours we put in what are your thoughts on all of that let's use that as a kind of a springboard
1: yeah so for me a lot of the companies that I'm working with are really in that kind of bind almost where they can't get out of the old mindset that work is a place that you go. And that presenteeism over who works the longest hours, who's always online, who's answering emails at God knows what time o'clock. It's kind of like this competitive challenge to who can take the most stress. And it is just creating burnout, competition, people are just worn out. And actually, it kind of pushes us all into this fear mindset, which actually suppresses what makes us brilliant, our creativity, our strategic thinking. So it actually shuts down everything that employees actually need from us. Mm. So I'm not a fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how do you think it's manifesting itself in people? Do you think it's, lead- it's a key contributor to burnout?
1: Oh, without a doubt. And even things like, you know, people really value their home time, their families and the stuff that we do when, well, traditionally we think of time off. But, you know, it's about actually getting the most out of time on life. Mm. But the consequence of that is that people are are living in locations that aren't necessarily close to where they work. So even before they get to work, they're doing a two-hour commute, they're getting to work stressed, having stuck in traffic in terrible weather commuting when it's dark getting home when it's dark so even when they get to work they're not their best and then they're expected to do eight or ten hour days sometimes not even taking time out for lunch and it kind of manifests in even like the language we use when we say oh you're busy at the moment then oh yeah yeah I've got so much on i am rushed off my feet and it's, it's almost become like part of our culture that we you know we're not allowed to say actually things are really great at the moment. Mm. so yeah it's absolutely contributing that yeah you're a failure if you're not rushed if you're not burning out if you're not burning the candle at both ends Mm. and i actually hate
0: the word busy it suggests to me out of control i see a headless chicken scurrying around the farmyard i don't see a successful person i i I don't like the word i don't use the word i think there are better ways
1: I, I love it when I work with clients and we start looking at time mastery. And so it's a completely different mindset. Like if you're too busy, if you're having to work all these hours, then that demonstrates to me that you're not mastering your own time. Mm. And also, you know, what are you role modeling to everybody else? Especially if you're in a leadership position, you're in the the position where everyone's watching you. And if you're out of control then it kind of creates this mania, this chaos, and people don't feel safe. Mm. So, yeah, let's ditch busy and let's become time masters. Mm.
0: Okay. Let's talk about how we measure output. So, currently, the, the traditional model and the prevailing model, I would say, is that we measure our number of hours delivered. So, your business hours, it'll be in almost every employment contract, is nine to five, which we know is laughable anyway. Let's call it eight to 630 And that is largely what you're measured at. My old career was in sales, so you're then measured on sales done, sales closed per month. But for a lot of people who aren't necessarily with a targeted role, it is about the number of hours. I personally would love to see a model where we shift output. There's somebody who works for us on a couple of days a week, and we – she does have broad hours because I know that she's a working parent, so she is not going to be working at quarter past four, but she may be working a little bit after the children have gone to bed. So we measure on output. These are the tasks we need doing week in, week out, and they get done. And I have genuinely no interest in what time of day they get done, unless I feel that she's working late to keep up with the workload, which is another matter. That, I think, is a big problem, that traditional way of, of measuring an output. How else can we do that? Let me take you back to me probably about 10
1: years ago when I was leading a massive team. And we were gradually shifting to what we were calling agile working. And I was one of those bosses that resisted it. And the reason why I resisted it was because I felt that how could I control everyone? How will I know what's going on if people are working from home or working from cafes? And somebody just challenged me and said, well, you've just got to rethink the way that you manage performance in the sense of are you being clear about what work needs to be done by when what good looks like and I was like yeah I'm pretty good at that they said well that's all you're doing then If as long as they know what you're expecting and when it's got to be done by what's your problem mm. and it really changed my thinking And yeah, everybody went off and did, you know, empowered to do what hours they wanted. And actually performance went up. They were more loyal, absenteeism went down, they were more engaged. So it's really about, it's the boss or the leader's job to actually create that clarity. Mm. That's what we're going to focus on and get rid of all those annual appraisals and, you know, do those daily check-ins if necessary or, you know, weekly check-ins. So you've still got the human contact but who cares where they're actually sat? Mm. It really doesn't matter. So I think the way that you're leading your, your member of staff that you talked about is exactly the right approach. Mm. And if you're not being clear, or if she's not doing the work that you expected, you need to look at your own behaviours and question, am I being clear? Am I communicating mm. well? Because it all starts with the leadership.
0: Yeah. Are there many companies in your experience who you've worked with who are already doing this to great effect? Or is there still a resistance?
1: there's still a huge resistance.
0: What are the reasons for that, do you think?
1: Well, I absolutely don't put it down to fear, fear of the unknown. So there's, for example, one company I was working with, their resistor was, yeah, well, if we let one person do it, everybody will want to do it. So my challenge was, well, what's wrong with that? Mm. Um, other companies, it's, well, well, you know, we've got to serve our customers. Yeah, so what platforms do you do that? Well, on the telephone. Well, can you not give your people a telephone? and just make sure that their core hours are covered. So mm. it's, it's challenging them to think outside the box because it's almost that people are so institutionalized and so busy, I'm sorry to use that word, but they're so busy that they don't actually give it the strategic thought that's that's required. Mm. Because if you are going to move to a more flexible, agile kind of workforce, it's going to impact how you performance manage. It's going to impact terms and conditions, how you work out holiday and annually, those kind of things. So you're going to have to put the time and effort in. But I really honestly don't believe that there's anything to be afraid of
0: mm. or anything that
1: can't be resolved.
0: I think I would imagine one of the issues is, is trust. Yeah. But if you've got people who are going to be at home not doing much because they're not physically in an office being watched, they won't be doing anything in the office either. Mm-hmm. They'll be looking yeah. busy, the old coat behind the chair, you know, making sure they're first in, coat behind the chair, but they're not actually doing very much.
1: Well, it shows that they're completely disengaged.
0: Yeah, to so
1: They're not doing the work. They're disengaged. They're not motivated. And again, I pass that straight back to the management or the leadership. Why aren't you giving them engaging work that motivates them so that they want to get up in the morning and contribute and make a sense of belonging? Mm. So I keep passing it back to them all the time. The problem isn't the member of staff. The problem is the culture of the work, how you treat people. And trust is absolutely fundamental to that. And if you are a micromanager, I honestly, I want to tell you, you're not getting the best out of your people right now. Mm. So try a different way, see what actually happens.
0: Yeah I think trust is such a key part of well-being in a way you know having autonomy being trusted being left alone to do your work in you know, as creative a way as you as you can do is a huge part of individual's well-being you know people think it's about sleep and mental health and other things but actually autonomy having some variety in your work having the freedom to genuinely work agilely anywhere in the world potentially I've got a team of 10 people in body shot and One's in Brighton, one's in Newcastle, one's in the Philippines, et cetera, all o- literally all over the world, working agilely, getting the job done, producing whatever they need to produce when they need to produce it. You know that, That's, I think, a really good depiction of what we're talking about. Maybe more complicated in other industries with bigger workforces, of course. But yeah, to come back to trust, I think that's a really crucial part of well-being. when somebody feels trusted and valued. I mean, we must know what that, there must be studies that illustrate what effect that has on, on productivity and performance.
1: Oh, without a doubt, you know, I think there's, I can't even remember which survey it is, but basically those teams that have got high trust, high engagement, high morale actually have a 40% improvement in performance and productivity. Mm. Um, So they're really the top bar. And there's also another study from a great book called The Multiplier by Liz Wiseman, where in her research, she found that most managers are only tapping into 60% of human capability. Because they're not engaging and empowering, people aren't working at their best. So imagine what would happen if you had that environment where you were engaging and people were feeling well enough to do their best work and best thinking, even just multiplying that by, you know, 66% or 70%. Well, it makes sense that performance is gonna go up. Mm. And I was recently on BBC Radio 2 talking about this exact issue, and so I put it out there on my Facebook and LinkedIn, and some of the responses that I was getting back was, yeah, well, if we work less hours, then they'll cut our pay, and I'm like, how are we going to fund this? I'm like, you're not getting it. When people are well, when they're not stressed, when they're feeling fulfilled, they perform more, so you're getting bigger bangs for your Mm. buck. So yeah, it's a no-brainer for me.
0: Mm. It's that extra discretionary effort. I heard it described as you know, I don't mind doing this because I heard an anecdote from somebody I met a few weeks ago. Said that um, a chap was running a business, noticed one of his employees was a bit off, and in the end, and when I say off, I mean out of sorts. I don't mean you know not performing well or anything. It just seemed upset. Brought him in and said, you know, what's going on? And I'll keep it at high level, so you know, so I don't go into too much detail because it's someone, it's an individual, but. Brought him in and said, what's going on? It turns out there was a big family illness or a family member back in India, but this individual didn't have the money to get out there and be with that person. And it was bothering them. So the chap said, well, okay, how much is the airplane ticket? And he said, it's X. And he said, okay, how about I pay that and you repay me over the next five or six months from your salary? The wow. guy so was absolutely delighted, booked the ticket went over and was obviously a much happier person. A few weeks after that, a server went down on a client site and who was it who popped up in the middle of the night to be the first responder? It was this individual. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it shouldn't just be done because it generates quid pro quo and you, you know, you get something back in the end. It should just be done because it's the right, right thing to do and you get that discretionary extra effort back. I wanted to talk to you about sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was gonna say, because I've got two girls and I've always taught them, give more than you take because it just comes back to, mm. to you in the most amazing ways. And that discretionary effort there, it just goes to show the more you give, the more you get back.
0: Yeah. And coming back to wellbeing as well, I talk a lot about giving and and contribution or a concept we call heartfulness, which, of which contribution is one part. Um, doing something for someone else, it takes you out of self, but it makes you feel really good. It generates lots of happy hormones like dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, that make us feel really, really good about ourselves and our place in the world. And, I think it's it's also just, you know, making yourself feel good by doing these things. It's kind of, you know, there's, there's that benefit as well, I mean, bring it, bringing it back to well-being.
1: And one of the things that we struggle with most in our society is this, this sense of being alone or loneliness. And when you go into a place of work where people actually care, mm. where they make you feel a sense of belonging, like you matter, you kind of, you know, it's not a word we use very often in the workplace, but you feel loved. And when you feel loved and like you really matter, everything in your life just, it kind of becomes more resonant, doesn't it? And it all sparkles more. Mm. So that's the kind of environment I want to work for. And I, I've read recently about Brew Dog, the brewing company. Yeah. They started giving their members and staff poor quantity leave, So they know that if you get a new puppy, for example, you have a week or two where you're actually going to want to stay home and make sure it's fine. So rather than bringing your staff in, because you've got to be there on the nine till five, Stressing about what's going on at home, they say, Look, just, just take a week. That's brilliant. Because we know, isn't that amazing? Paternity leave. I love it. I thought it was a cute name as well. But there are so many companies who are role modeling what brilliant looks like. Yeah. And so, yeah, part of my cause is just going out there and saying, It is actually happening. This is real. Mm. Go and look at these companies, and, and productivity is going up.
0: Yeah, there's quite a few stories actually. I had Claude Silva on the podcast maybe even a year ago now, who's the chief heart officer for VaynerMedia.
1: What a name. I want that like title.
0: Yeah, 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 the chief heart officer. It's great. And her role essentially is to know the fears, dreams and aspirations of all, currently it was 800 at the time, staff. Now, how does she do that in reality? She'll see people, she picks up on a sort of energy she's not quite sure about. She'll say, look, let's go and have a chat, let's have a coffee. She does town hall meetings. She asks her managers, who do I need to go and speak to? just uses her eyes and ears and her senses as she's walking past people and around people and just makes it her job to know what's going on with people you know looking at the social media profiles, celebrating when they've had a baby or commiserating when they've had bad news or or whatever it might be and I think we'll see more of that as well maybe not called that exact role but definitely people taking a much much stronger interest in the well-being of their teams and their aspirations their dreams and everything else I want to talk to you about something I know you've been on the radio about recently and quite a bit if your social media has been around, the, the concept of the four-day working week. Talk to me a bit about yeah.
1: that. So in terms of the four-day working week, a lot of it came back from a Microsoft initiative. It was only a trial, but it was in Japan. And if you know anything about Japan, they have the iconic working man, which basically is doing 80-hour weeks. Everyone's burnt out. Um, so they'll just trial it. We will see during the month of August, if we only operate Monday through to Thursday, what will be the impact? And of course, productivity went through the roof. People having just those three days to you know do the stuff that they love, rest and recuperate. It meant that they were more productive in those four days. So I started doing a little bit of research about other companies that are doing exactly this. And there is starting to become a bit of a movement. Now, for some companies, they just say, you know, you pick the day and we'll make that work in in terms of our our, um, performance and make sure everybody's covered. But other companies are actually saying, no, that's it. We're going to shut down on Fridays. So things like they had to consider, well, what happens on a bank holiday week? Mm -hmm. You know, when people aren't in there on a Monday. So they, rather than coming up with the process, they said to their staff, what should we do during those weeks? And they said, look, okay, there's six of them during the year. We will come in on, you know, the Friday of those weeks. We also will commit to doing our doctor's appointments and our errands on that day. So when we are there during those four days, we'll be super Mm. focused. It worked. And then there were other things like they reduced their paper usage, coffee bills, electricity bills, the fights for people using the car park All those kind of things just disappeared. So it is a fascinating study. Uh, They're going to do it again during December for Microsoft. But it's kind of saying, well, if these giants can do it when they've got 8,000 people, anybody can do it.
0: In the study, did they look at how many hours people were having to do in the four days? So I guess that's the first rebuttal that will come is, are people just doing, expected to do more in the four days that they are working? Or were they and they didn't have a problem with that because they felt the payoff of three days off was worth it? Was that looked
1: up? Yeah, what they actually found were people weren't working longer. What they were doing was they were working smarter. So they were looking at, do we really need is scheduled to be an hour? Let's make it super focused and targeted so we get the Mm. outcome. So it, it just switched people's minds. And the way that I tend to think of it is if you know you're going on holiday for two weeks and you're not going to be able to do any work for two weeks, those four days running up to your holiday, how efficient are you? You're absolutely super focused. You're getting all your jobs done. You're communicating with everybody, and it's kind of just shifting that people into that mindset. Mm. So no, people weren't working longer hours; they were just working smarter. Mm.
0: And I think sometimes you you fill the time. The task takes as long as the time allotted. So. Yeah. If you have a sort of a, like a meeting goes, as you say, from an hour to 30 minutes, you probably find you get most of the business concluded. I mentioned VaynerMedia earlier. They have a limit of 50 minute meetings and in part because their chief exec, Gary Vaynerchuk, is a very sort of fast talking, fast moving, quick guy, if anyone knows him. So he likes 15 minute meetings and that's just part of the culture there. So and, and in that time, someone else I interviewed, Tristan Weiss of the co in Australia, they have very short meetings as well that start at 10.05, not 10 o'clock, because he found that people turned up at 10.05, but they were late if it was 10 o'clock. Yeah. And very short, punchy meetings as well. And I'm a fan of it. You know, if, if you've got an hour, and I'm guilty of this as well in my old career when I used to go and see companies all the time and it was part of my sales role. If the meeting was scheduled for an hour, you almost felt obliged, bizarrely, to fill it. You've asked for an hour, you've been given one, you've only got 40 minutes to talk about. You know, it's really odd. Much better to say, right, we're done. I'll be off. And you give someone 20 minutes back. So having shorter meeting times is a really, really great thing to do as well. And that would probably shrink a lot of people's calendars. I know it's a big frustration for people.
1: Oh, absolutely. And what you, what you also tend to find is that people get into this meetings culture and feel like they absolutely have to be there. And we also need to invite everybody, you know, and his yeah. dog along to the meetings. So when I work with clients, I sort of say to them, well, does it, A, need an hour are you actually inviting the right people who are actually going to contribute and add value? Mm. And are you clear about what is the purpose of the meeting? What is the outcome we need? And then at the end, are you clear about who is doing what by when? And mm. if you go into the meeting with that mindset, yeah, it can sometimes be over in 10, 15 minutes and it's okay to leave. Yeah. So again, i pass it all back to the management culture. You're setting the tone for those meetings. So if mm. you're, you know, not utilising people's time for the best. You're training them to be inefficient.
0: Yeah. Coming back to the four-day working week, are there any other objections that you've encountered that people listening might be thinking that we can try and knock out?
1: Yeah, so a lot of the objections is really about old um, mindset about what the work actually is. So, for example, I had um, somebody saying, well, we work on a production line. We can't possibly shut down on that fifth day. And, yeah, I get it. But, again, it's about looking at can you work differently, smarter, more efficiently? Could you use technology to systemize or make processes better? I had um, somebody else come back in terms of, you know, if we all didn't, you know, get on the roads on a Friday, nobody had have anything in the shops. And, again, mm. certain industries, they have a valid case, but it doesn't mm. mean to say that they can't include flexible working. So it doesn't have to be the standardised four-day week, but start thinking more flexibly and agilely to suit your people's needs.
0: Mm.
1: But really, it's just old mindset kind of stuff. Yeah. And and actually, one client, well, sorry, not a client, somebody I was um, looking at on LinkedIn, they are a recruitment consultancy. So in the three months before they shifted to this four-day week, they communicated with their customers and said, this is what we're thinking of doing. Have you got any objections? So, And nobody came back with anything. And so they were really surprised because they were thinking this is what our customers want, and actually the reality is is the customers just want a good service, mm. and if that had to be on a Thursday, then that's fantastic.
0: Mm.
1: So yeah, objective but more institutionalised thinking really.
0: Yeah. So maybe if if someone's listening in, they could explore if as a business owner certainly explore the four day working week, and I think for a lot of businesses they probably welcome it as well once you get your head around the fact that you know. <laughs> I mean, I I know if I think about it, I'd be concerned that – and I have a very blended lifestyle. It's it's very blended, you know, working. If if it's sunny, I might leave the office at 3 and do a little bit later on or catch up tomorrow or a bit on Sunday. But I I think one of my apprehensions might be everyone else is out there hunting for business and I'm – all my team aren't. We're resting on a Friday. We're doing whatever. But actually, it is a lot about working smarter using assets in the business to you know, to work for you when you're not actually in the office and so on. Okay. I want to just come back to time for the last few minutes that we've got. In your experience of working with these global corporations and fast-growing fast, fast growing startups, how do you help people get a little bit more time back or better utilise their time, whether that's so they can have a four-day week or what?
1: Yeah, what what I often have to get people to do is actually to slow down to enable them to speed up bizarrely. Right. So... Even like with one client this week, I actually sat them down with a, like a pie chart of their day and actually got them to really think about how are you best utilizing your time. So we kind of like said, well, 20% is doing this, 20% is doing that. And then I was challenged them to say, well, are you really the right person to be doing this? Or how can you, you do this differently? It's kind of like what coming back to that meeting, If you've got eight hours in a day, you will find ways to fill it. And it's not always, oops, my plant's just gone flying over. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's real life for you. I've got a new kitten. Um, (sighs) Yeah, so the the whole time mastery thing is actually about looking at your time and saying, what is going to add most value? Do you really need to be there? I mean, can you delegate? Are you being the superhero? feeling like you need to be always present and be involved in everything. And it's kind of like talking to the ego, really, and saying, ego, do you really need to be involved in this? Mm. And most of the time the answer is, well, no. Mm. So you have to really slow down to being able to speed up and you will, you know, you'll get more done.
0: Okay. What other hacks have you got? I mean, in terms of smart working, technology is a hindrance but it's also a help yeah but there's a lot we can leverage now in terms of technology we're talking across zoom yeah i mean as an example somebody wanted to meet with me recently i said can we do it on zoom that meeting lasted about 12 minutes Mm -hmm. now had i agreed to do it face to face we probably would have expanded it to fit the time allotted well certainly it wouldn't have been 12 minutes because i would have felt that wasn't worth the person coming to see me they would have felt you know that i've asked for more and i'm only using we've just stretched it out so so technology is one thing i mean what what kind of tech apps would you endorse in terms of working smarter
1: so a lot of my clients they're still big organizations they use the microsoft world and yeah. um, so I encourage them to think about because one of my things is still about creating that humanity in the workplace. If you've got disparate teams, people, you know, working all over the different time zones and stuff, then how can you ensure that you're still connecting? And um, yes, yeah, Skype, Zoom, that kind of technology is really beneficial. So use it. You can still get your team together and do that kind of stuff. Um, there's also things where, you know, you've got task planners. So as and when you're working on stuff, you can share and allocate tasks to people so you can just click it off. So you know, you don't need to have a conversation with them, you know what, what's been done. Mm-hmm. There's various different so I, I use um, schedulers. So one of the things that I say to everybody, it's kind of like my mantra, is under plan but over schedule everything. So if you know that you've only got like five things to do today. Plan for five and know that they're probably going to take a little bit longer than you expected. So you you don't get all that stress, but then communicate and share with everyone because most of the inefficiencies come from people thinking that they've got to do this, but somebody else is replicating it over there, and then it gets into conflict. Hmm. So it goes back to use your technology to be clear, have tasks, have your apps that tick things off. Another great app, I can't remember what it is, but it actually logs the time. So I've got somebody who I work with and we work very flexibly and she just logs her time. And and so then at the end of the week, we can go through and say, right, you spent three hours on that, two hours on that. Let's have a look at how we can systematize or operationalize. So there is no excuse with today's tech. There's an app for everything.
0: Yeah. And someone we both know, Dan Priestley, who does the KPI program that we've both been on, talks about having a global culture. Monday morning, you have the kind of the croissant and the to get-together, the huddle, who's doing what for the week, which is what we do. In body shop, we have a meeting at half 12 on a Monday. About 30 minutes, we rarely go over, agree what we're doing for the week, seek any help if we need it, talk about what our focus is, I do a bit of an update. And then getting back to dance model, he then does, I can't remember what he calls it. But it's a kind of there's an end of week thing as well. It's something with something in prosecco, or I can't remember what it is. But it's just a cap off the week. You know, we celebrate a little bit and then then split. And he does that remotely. So there's you know you can build a culture of of having a global team, which comes back to the idea of working agilely and you know having. And, and it amazes me that in the city of London, where I'm I'm fairly close to, you know, the cost of square meter is vast. And you've got these tall buildings as well that are very expensive to maintain. And yet we're still asking people to come in and, and be there and be present.
1: Bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. And that was when I worked for the firm many years ago. We moved to Agile Working. That was actually the main impetus behind it. We had all these buildings and we did this survey. And actually the occupancy was only about 60% most of the time um, mm-hmm. because people were out having meetings on the road, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, that that check in, whether it's every day, you know, on a Monday, and then a reason to celebrate. With a company I worked with in Malta, we called it Feel Good Friday. And so, reasons to celebrate. Let's just forget about the problems. Let's just celebrate what we're doing. And that goes into people's well-being. So, they go away for the weekend feeling great.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's been really interesting. Your book, tell us very briefly, a couple of minutes left about the book. When's it out? Who's it for? What are the key messages?
1: So the book is called Leader X, and it's going to be out in March 2020, and it's all about how the Xennial and Generation X are going to be taking over the boardroom in the next decade. So as the boobers, who have got a very different idea about what work is and how we do it, as they start retiring, a new values-driven generation is going to take over and it's music to my ears because they value freedom, autonomy, fun, experience and relationships. And it's no surprise that these people have been influencing from the sidelines for the last 15 years, which is why we have customer experience, people experience, we have flexible work in becoming the norm, well-being, caring for each other. But rather than these being initiatives that we're talking about, Talk about this is just going to become the norm so the book is kind of like a call to arms to give them the confidence that they're right and they can do it and and they will change the world
0: yeah brilliant it's a much needed book and I I think to sum it all up you know the companies of the the future the game-changing companies companies that will grow and expand and deliver more value in the future will be companies that get everything we've talked about they'll recognize that well-being and a different type of leadership, provide them with that competitive advantage. That's how they'll attract talent and retain talent into the business. So hopefully the right people are listening to this and the further changes will be made. But Lucy, thank you very much for your time.
1: You're welcome.
0: Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.